0: We live in a world these days where we can connect to people, places, information, and ideas in mere seconds through the power of text messages, emails, phone calls, tweets, Instagram posts, FaceTime. We can reach out to anyone at any time under most circumstances. And yet, despite this, ironically, one of the challenges of our modern life is even as we're more connected than ever we feel increasingly isolated from each other. We have more and more friends on Facebook, but fewer friends we actually see and talk with in person. We are LinkedIn all over the place, yet the rates of reported loneliness and depression are skyrocketing. We are connected to more sources of news and information and entertainment, and even to each other via email and social media, yet we seem to almost be drowning in information while simultaneously being starved for actual experience, particularly the experience of being in real relationship. And it's for this reason that I believe Jesus' self-description in this passage and the invitation that he extends to us through it is perhaps more timely and more vital than ever. As we listen, as we reflect, and as we'll discuss on what Jesus offers his disciples here, what Jesus offers us, we will see that what Jesus offers to us is more than connection, more than the means of connection. Jesus offers us the means to sustain and nourish life, life to its fullness, life to its abundance, life to its fruitfulness. By now, I hope you have those Bibles open. If not, the words will be on the screen. We're reading again from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. The words of Jesus, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we enter into this conversation, I'd like to introduce my conversation partner for today. He is an elder of the church, not actively serving on council, but served for many, many years, not only as an elder on council, but as our council president. Can you please welcome Marlon Goldnitz as he comes forward today? Good to see you, Marlon. I think it's good. <laughs> well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. So... Get to sit in a nice chair. That's true. That's true. And there's a little water here for you, too. So if you haven't been a part of this, like I said this is a, really a conversation that's built around three questions. And the first question is what I call the huh, what question. It's really what starts our conversation, which is the, it's about listening. It's about receiving and understanding the passage. And the question I always ask the people I meet with is what question do you have that will help you better understand this passage? And when we gather together, Marlon, your question got right to the heart of probably where I would go in terms of this passage. It's if you have your Bible still open, it's verse number three. And if you don't, I'll read it out loud. Jesus, in the midst of this metaphor about vine and branches, makes this statement to the disciples that are there. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And Marlon's question was, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> What's going on there? It's a great question. And as a way to get to the answer, um, with Marlon, I, I kind of gave just a little bit of a quick... Understanding of this passage that that ultimately leads to how I would how I understand what Jesus is getting at here. So I'm going to repeat that part of the conversation as we typically do. So what I shared with Marlon is again, first we step back and we look at this passage. It's really important that we understand that a vineyard as a metaphor would really be a familiar one to Jesus' disciples on a couple of levels. If you've ever been to Israel, if you've gone with me or maybe someone else or on your own, vineyards dominate the landscape of Israel, especially in Galilee, where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. But even beyond that, the imagery of the vine has an Old Testament history, as if you read through the Old Testament, the vine as a metaphor comes up over and over again for the people of Israel in both positive and negative ways. The Old Testament pictures God's people as God's vineyard in places like Psalm 80, Isaiah chapter 5, Ezekiel 15. And it's this idea that God established Israel. He prepared a land for them, the promised land, and planted them there. And his intention, if you recall, for his people, for Israel, was for them to have an unbroken relationship with him and to bear good, life-giving fruit for the sake of all the nations and all the world. We often think of they were to be a light to the nations, but another way to think of them, they were to be, were to be the branches from the vine of God bearing fruit. But if you read a passage like Isaiah chapter 5, this didn't exactly happen for Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, it's called the song of the unfaithful vineyard, where God laments That Israel, instead of bearing grapes, grapes of justice specifically, Israel is bearing wild grapes, bloodshed, injustice. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine here, he's pointing to this idea that he is the life source of the branches, but he is the true vine in the sense, in contrast to Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be. He's the one to whom Moses and the prophets pointed, the one who would bring good fruit. But when Jesus also says he's the true vine, true also has to do with Jesus' relationship to the Father, which he references over and over again. Here he says, I'm the vine and the Father is the gardener. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is true humanity. Jesus models for us what our relationship with God was meant to look like, what it can look like by living in the Father, relying on the Father. And when we do, what we see Jesus do is not just about the particularity of Jesus. It's also demonstrating that when we are rooted in the Father as we were intended to be in that relationship, we give incredible, we manifest incredible life-giving, life-saving fruit that comes from doing so. But as we break down this passage, getting to Marlon's question, one of the things we have to notice is Jesus talks over and over again about abiding, Remain in me, Jesus says. The actual word is abide. Abide in me as I abide in you. Jesus repeats that word abide in this passage something like eight times. And what's important to see about abiding is abiding involves this idea of a mutual union. Not only does the believer, do we abide in Christ, but if you look carefully at verse 4, Jesus says he abides in us as well. So this idea of abiding implies receptivity. It's not a static passive posture but it's one of openness it's one of responsiveness it's one of dependence and it's responsiveness and openness and dependence upon the will of god the life and teachings of jesus and the leading of the holy spirit and and out of this abiding it's something important also to see in this passage is the abiding in jesus is not for its own sake abiding in jesus is for it's not an end in and of itself Abiding in Jesus, this relationship with Christ, naturally results, Jesus tells us, in the opportunity to bear fruit. Fruit, Jesus will say later on in the passage in verse 16, fruit that endures, fruit that will last. And the fruitfulness idea is another thing that is emphasized in this passage as it bear fruit. This idea of bearing fruit appears six times. Six times just in the eight verses that we heard read. And fruitfulness in this passage is this idea of intimacy with Jesus It's sacrificial love also for fellow believers. And it's also this idea of power in prayer and deep joy. And what Marlon and I talked about, and this is again getting to the question that he asked, is that fruitfulness, fruit bearing, as Jesus describes it here, is not something the branches do by force of will. The branches, in other words, we don't bear fruit by squeezing it out of ourselves. We bear fruit because we are extensions of the vine. Fruit happens organically, not artificially, because the vine is true and the gardener is good. So let's get to that, that verse that Marlon asked about when we talked. You know, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What Jesus is doing is he's clarifying everything I've just shared with you based upon what he just shared in verse 2. How the Father is the gardener. If you look at verse 2 before Jesus makes this statement, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Listen to what Jesus says. He talks about how the Father is the gardener in verse 2. Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, if you just heard verse 2 alone, you could receive that as if we need to bear fruit in order to be accepted by God. We need to bear fruit in order to be accepted by God. And honestly, that really should resonate with many of us because that's pretty much how we operate outside of the body of Christ. That's how we operate in the world. The conventional belief, whether we realize it or not, is that productivity is the goal of our lives. Productivity, fruitfulness is the goal of our lives and only the fittest survive. We are, we think, what we do. We are what we accomplish. That's why many of you who have experienced retirement struggle so much in it. Because when you're retired and you are what you do, what are you? If you're not fruitful anymore. And most of us who are younger build up our whole lives. of Our goal of our lives is to be productive. Because that's where we define ourselves. And we bring this idea of productivity as being the goal into our spiritual lives. Our relationship with Jesus. But what Jesus is clarifying here when he says you are already clean. Because of the word I have spoke to you is that. We do not become a part of the vine. We do not become a part of Jesus if we are fruitful. Hear this, church. Fruit is not God's demand upon our life and the means by which we appease God. And again, I will say to you that many of you are living your Christian life that way that your fruit has to appease God. That's how you stay solid with the Lord. Fruit, we do not become a part of the vine. We do not become a part of Jesus if we are fruitful. It is because we are a part of the vine. It is because we are a part of Jesus that we can bear fruit and therefore have the opportunity to be fruitful. Another way to say this is the good things we cultivate as part of the kingdom, the vineyard of God, are not works we do for Christ. They are the fruit that naturally comes from being in Christ. And that shift, by the way, is at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. It's not about the works we do for Christ. It's about the works that come from being in Christ, the work that Jesus does in and through us. The problem with productivity as the sum or goal of our lives, that we are what we do, the problem with productivity is it doesn't really create deep, abiding, and intimate relationships, does it? If productivity is the measure of your worth or your measure of the worth of someone else, then ultimately that relationship is going to rise and fall on what can you do for me? What have you done for me lately? Productivity is the sum and goal of our lives, creates transactions, transactional relationships. And what does this look like in our faith? A transactional relationship. We've talked about this during this sermon series. Jesus is Lord and Savior when we need him to be. When we need him to be, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. But otherwise, if we don't believe we need Jesus, then we're just fine on our own. That's a transactional relationship with Jesus. The church is filled when a national disaster happens. When tragedy strikes, these pews will not be empty because suddenly we need Jesus, and now he's Lord and Savior. But when everything settles down, when life is good again, The pews are not filled, are they? The people aren't here because we don't need Jesus right now. But with these words, Jesus is not talking about or demanding productivity. so important we hear this today. Jesus is not describing a transactional exchange. When he says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, he's not talking in terms of a transactional exchange. What he's assuring is, I have grafted you in. I have made you a part of me. Therefore, you can be fruitful. Jesus is describing and offering us a relationship of intimacy and dependence. And that's why after he says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, he goes right to these words in verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain, remain, not start, remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the purpose of that, you've already been made clean. By the word I've spoken to you, is Jesus underscoring this idea of stay at home, like we talked about last week. Stay connected. Stay in relationship with me. Don't disconnect. Don't go off on your own. And when I shared this with you, Marlon, we talked about this, and this kind of, I'm, I'm, ex, I'm excited for us to get to this part of the conversation. You asked a very pointed question. The next question in sharing this is kind of, okay, And chewing on this, the so what question. What What insights or connections are you making? And Marlon had a question. Do you remember what your question was in light of what we talked about?
1: Well, base, basically the question says, okay, how, how in today's world can you serve more or, and, and how can you actually get into into what would what, what, what you think Christ meant when he said live his life and and in today's world, as you mentioned before, is so much more complicated. There's so much going on. Yeah, There's so much going on in this world. The heart of this and idea of
0: a complicated world, what does fruit bearing look like? And, and, and again, you yeah. shared some, some, some thoughts about that. I would love yeah, for you to repeat I
1: that. I was wondering if I could back up a little bit. Sure, before we yeah. Do that. I wanna back up to uh, a few weeks ago when Pastor Marv spoke and he said, sometimes you think somebody changed the words of a verse in the Bible. When you read it again, I think we've all experienced that. We didn't. We read something, and and it uh, and it, later on you get back to it, and it said it didn't mean that at all. In this passage, I can go back to the days of Sunday school and what to learn, and I think what I got out of this passage at that point in time was, uh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, God trimmed out if it was if you. Believers, if you're non-believers, you were trimmed out and thrown in the fire and went to hell. If you're believers, you went to heaven. There's that kind of thing that's in that basic part. Okay. The pruning, doesn't, I, I, even, the pruning doesn't even
0: show up. Right, I mean, and, but even, how many of you heard, have heard something similar to that? This idea that again, branches that produce are rewarded where the non-productive productive branches are punished, and this idea that pruning is for unfaithful branches. How many of you, that res- you resonate with something like that? Uh, yeah, go keep yeah. going.
1: And I think that, that, that puts this in a totally different perspective. And part of pruning is you don't just cut the bad branches, you cut good branches.
0: Well, and, and with you, that verse, if you didn't hear it, Jesus says every branch, listen to this, because this is what exactly we're talking about, we miss. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it more fruitful. Yes, And I think that, to me now,
1: that's probably the most significant thing in this passage, is is pruning those good branches to produce more fruit in the world we're in today. Uh, Christ didn't come down here uh, to live among us, to experience our life, because he knew what our life was. He came down here to show us how to live that life by how he would live it. And I think that's another significant thing in in that, in his... Christ was a, a life of love and service. And that's what he wanted us to see. And that's why he was here to walk among us. And you, you mentioned before uh, abide. Uh, that's the one disappointing thing I have in the NIV translation is they use remain. To me, yeah, it kind of means the same thing. But abide is a much better word here. Abide actually says is live. When you abide, you live. We live in Christ. We don't just remain believing in him. We live in him. And there's a big difference in that.
0: Can I, I can I stop for a second? Because I think which, something that you shared about this idea of pruning is so important for us to chew on for a little bit. And I'd love for you to share a little bit. Is this shift that we see a couple of things. First, the idea that pruning is not just reserved for unbelievers. It's not just for the bad. But that pruning is even for those of us who are being fruitful to make us more fruitful. And so what that does, that shift is this idea that God's pruning in our lives is actually not a punitive action, it's a loving one. Pruning's purpose, as Jesus describes it, is for more fruitfulness. And so I think that's so important, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, because I think oftentimes we have this stereotypical view that whenever we experience pain or discomfort in this life, that God somehow is absent, or God somehow is punishing us, right? God's doing this to me, because I've done something wrong. And, and this is one of those passages that demonstrates that not all the pain and discomfort we experience in life, and I want to underscore that, not all the pain, some of the pain and discomfort we experience in life is because we make bad choices, right? But some of the pain and discomfort we experience in life is not a sign of God's displeasure. It's actually maybe a sign that God is working to mold and shape us to become the best that we can be. Do you resonate with that at all? I mean, how do you- Yes, I do.
1: In fact, it takes down to uh, verse seven. It introduced something else in here that, that, uh, that. Uh, to me, I didn't never. I knew it was there. I never associated it in the same passage. But as if you remain in me, and my words in you remain in you, which is a repeat of what he said back in verse three. He says, "Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be given for you to, or done for you." And we know a lot of people have struggled with this in the answer to prayer. And 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 sometimes those answers to the prayer are so disguised that you don't know what they are at the time, but when you really think later, you thought you weren't being answered, and find out, yeah, I did get an answer. It wasn't the one I expected, and sometimes it'd be much later, and you look back and you say, my whole life changed, but it wasn't the answer I expected, but it was the answer that Christ knew I needed.
0: Well, and would you also say that, that sometimes we misunderstand this verse in that we only, li- we only remember part of it. Ask whatever you want in my name and it will be given to you. And, and what's so important is, as you pointed out, this is, Jesus says this in light of repeating the idea of abiding in him. So putting those two thoughts together, the asking that Jesus says we can do can only come from abiding in him. Does that make sense? You can ask all kinds of things, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Oh, ask whatever you want. Jesus is saying, out of abiding in me, you can ask for whatever you want in my name, and I will give it to you. And so what that implies is that while we have access to great power, Jesus will say, and we may not get to this later on in this path, or we talked about this last week, you'll do even greater things than I have done, right? That one that throws us. We have access to great power in Christ, but it's only as we're connected to that source of power. And if we're asking for whatever we want in Jesus' name, that, and it's coming out of abiding in his word, his spirit abiding in us, then whatever we ask is going to be in accordance with his will. Yes. So whatever, what that means is the person who abides in Christ, who asks for whatever they want, is not going to ask for things that are not of the Lord. And yet oftentimes we confuse that and think, hey, God, I asked for Alexis. <laughs> How come I didn't get Alexis? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Ask for whatever you want in my name and I'll give. This is not, Jesus is not a genie. Genie's not, Jesus isn't saying, rub me three times and ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Jesus is saying, out of abiding in me, you will know what to ask for. You will ask for things that I'm prompting you to and I will give that to you. Do you, do you, can, you think, can you see an example of that in your own life? I mean, where you, you asked for something in Christ's name? Because you, you, know, you made this reference, and I think it's right on, that oftentimes we don't see the answer to prayer. Can you look, go looking back and see something like that in your own life?
1: I, I have one I struggle very much with. Mm. And I, uh, I'm a disorganized person, and I think my wife will attest to that. She's kind come...
0: His wife right now is doing this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have many, many prayers to help me get better organized. Well, Part of that problem might be maybe I don't know what being better organized really is. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm asking for, so I wonder. But I, I struggle. I struggle with that, and I still struggle with that. And I, I, don't, I, I, uh, I don't. I don't stop, and I figure he's working on me but I'm still trying to figure out exactly where I'm going, and sometimes I get better organized in some area and another, and so I think sometimes some of my priorities are probably mixed up, and maybe those are my problem. I ought to straighten out my priorities, and then maybe I'll be better organized, and he, he is answering my prayers, but it's uh, I, I've that's one I do struggle with. I, like, I
0: really like what you said there, and I just wanna repeat that, because I really think there's something that's a great example of, you're praying for something that would seem I mean, common sense, it's not asking for Alexis, it's asking to be organized. And yet I love what you said, that in that prayer for organization, you've never really received that prayer for organization as much as you've received, you're perceiving it more about being priorities. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, where Jesus takes out of abiding in him. Maybe we're lo- It's not always necessarily we're asking for the wrong things. Sometimes it can be, I like the subtlety of what you're talking about. Sometimes it can be Jesus in answering that prayer helps us to see we're looking at it the wrong way. It's not so much about organization as it is about priorities, right? Yeah. And the priorities will, when the prior, and Jesus says that elsewhere, right? When the pri- priorities are there, everything else will fall together. But we can get fixated on, well, I just need to be more organized. I mean, there are, how many of you are organized people? Raise your hand. I'm just curious so I can be jealous. How many of you are disorganized people like Marlon and I? <laughs> disorganized people can be fruitful. Organized people can be unfruitful. <laughs> What's the, the common denominator? What, priorities. If your priorities are in the right place, your organization, yeah, it might, make it, might get there a little bit smoother, but, you may not, but you're still gonna get there. If you're disorganized and your priorities are right, but if you're an organized person and your priorities are all wrong, guess what? Who cares? Who cares? That's a great example.
1: I just lost the thought. <laughs> it <came> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We'll, we'll talk back. I'm, I'm back. You got it? You got it. Okay. All right. That was quick.
1: Cool. I, I want to go back to the service, because um, mm. Christ was a life, lived a life of, of, of service. And probably just prior to this passage, he had gone through the disciples in the upper room, and we all go back to, he washed their feet. Probably the lowest in mind form of service is to wash Somebody's feet. Dirty, stinky feet, which we've talked about before, that have been walking down roads where animals have been walking, and animals do something else when they walk. And so it's, they're, they're dirty feet. And, so, and he just threatened down. He, he washed their feet. Um, we don't have to go around washing everybody's feet, but there are plenty of th- ways to serve out there that we need to think about. And, and and I think setting priorities on on how we go about our life is going to lead us to service and will lead us to opportunities to serve. And one of the things that gets in the way is, say, is, is to resist that, say, well, yeah, that would be, but. Well, now the priority comes in. Where is your priority? Uh, those are the things that you may think are getting in the way of serving might not be the right priorities. We need to think about that. Something you're <laughs> saying
0: there that I think is really important also, again, back to this passage, is this idea, I love how you're using the word serve to in the place of fruit. The fruit that Jesus talks about here is not fundamentally for us. And yet how many of us hear this about being fruitful for us? I want fruit in my life. But branches don't live off of their own fruit. The fruit is for someone else, and this gets into Marlon's idea of service. So what Jesus is invoking here when he talks about fruitfulness is not, wow, I'm going to have all this great fruit for me. No, it's I'm going to have all this great fruit that I get to share that I get to give to others. Again, back to how we often don't hear it that way, right? And what I think is so brilliant about this is it one, something that Marlon and I talked about that has to come into your own mind when we hear these words from Jesus, when we hear about fruit, is Galatians chapter five, where Paul talks about what? The fruit of the spirit. And you guys remember that list of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All that fruit is not for us. It's for the sake of other people. When you're gentle, it's good for you, but it's better for somebody else. When you're self-controlled, it's good for you, but it's even better for someone else. When you're patient, good for you, but even better for someone else. And one of the things I just want to say before I give it back to you, Marlon, is in that list, I always have found it interesting in that list of, and it's not different fruit, it's more the flavors of the fruit. The number one in Paul's list is love. Did you notice that? Love is the first, and I will argue, most important fruit of the Spirit. Because Jesus says, in this dialogue, and this gets back to foot washing, when he points back to it, that those who abide in him are filled with his love. They're filled with love for God. They're filled with love for God's children and for God's creation. Jesus will even go so far elsewhere to say that if you're filled with the love of God, if you abide in Jesus, you will be filled with love for your enemies. John will write elsewhere in his first letter, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God. God and God abides in them. All the other flavors of the fruit of the spirit start with love. Love is the first and most important indicator of our spiritual health or whether we are abiding in Jesus.
1: The thought just came to my mind, mm-hmm. Regarding that is, if you lived the greatest life, everything just went so well and you were so productive in, in, uh, and, and and accomplish many things. If you didn't change somebody else's life for the better, was your life worth it? Well, that, that, that just occurred to me now, really, when you think about that. No matter how good your life is, if you didn't make somebody else's life better, was your life really that good when you look at back at the life of Christ and the life he expected us to live? Um, I'm, I'm going to tell a couple stories. One... Um, Maybe I'll start with the one where Shirley and I, way back early uh, in our marriage, when we, uh, I went to a school, Air Force school in Alabama for three months and went home after that to South Dakota, which where I grew up for, to spend Christmas in December. And uh, so we had three months worth of stuff in our car, clothing, cooking utensils and so forth and whatever. And we also had our cat, because the cat had to go somewhere for three months, so we had it with her. And we were going from traveling between her parents' house and my parents' house, the 200-mile travel, and uh, this is back, and we're talking about the early 70s, in fact, because of the school, I knew it was 1972. Um, and uh, we had a front wheelbarrow bearing go out on a, uh, on a highway, uh, those of you who remember, wheel bearings went out on cars a lot back in those days. It was <laughs> Just something <laughs> automatically happened. Uh, the, uh, and we were sitting by the side of the road, and we would, and there's, there's a reasonable amount of traffic. Uh, it was a busy road, and cars would slow down to see us and then get close and then speed up and go on. And that went on for a while, and then later we got to realizing we had California plates and we were in South Dakota in the country. And that probably had some bearing upon that because back there then, you know, California is where all the fruits and nuts were. <laughs> and people didn't want to deal with the fruits and nuts. So it probably had some bearing upon that. But one woman stopped. Uh, she was a farm, farmer's wife on the way to take her eggs from her chickens to the market. So she had cases of eggs stacked in the back seat, and she had her dog in the car, and she, was going. she stopped and found out we needed help, and she said, well, I'll take you to the next town, which is about 10, 12 miles away, and you can see what you can get help to go back and get the car. Uh, it's, this is December, South Dakota, so it's cold, so we both went. Well, we both went, the cat had to go, so so here we are, she's got us, our cat, and her dog in the car, and, they, and she took us, got us to a, to a service station there, and then from there she left us, and then they went back out and we got the car, and eventually got back on our way. That was service. That person went out, totally out of their way, in a situation that, uh,
0: you would to say help it was, somebody. That was Christ-like mm. service. Pardon? No, you'd say it was Christ-like service. It yes, very Christ-like. And when you, when you spoke to me, I love how you said that, that was, that, that was Jesus. Mm. But I have another one. Mm.
1: Um, um, my younger brothers are in high school, and we're talking about the same period of time. And uh, my older brother lived 400 miles away in Minnesota, and there was a, the shortest road between the two was kind of remote, but they were there on a Sunday, and they were going home Sunday evening, kind of late Sunday evening, and and they had car trouble, mom, dad, and both of the boys. And they were inside the road, and some local farmer was out, and he drove by, and stopped, and looked at the situation. They knew they could do nothing, and this is where farms were a mile apart, little towns here and there were, you know, 10, 12 miles apart, and if you Sunday, on a Sunday, a little town may have one gas station, it wasn't going to be open, particularly any time on Sunday back then, let alone Sunday evening, so you, nothing you could do, not a place to stay really either. This farmer said, here, take me back to my house, you know, my car, or, I'll take you back to my house, he says, and you take my car. So, they were a hundred miles from home, they took his car, went home, and the next day could go back and do something with their car. I, I to, my, to this day, I can't believe that person did that. A total stranger is to give them your car to drive a hundred miles away and expect it to come back the next day. So that's another case. There's two stories that, to me, really, really show you what, who Christ was, because Christ was in both of those at that time.
0: Yeah, one of, what, of the
1: things we discussed yeah. uh, was, um, you know, was this the first time they did anything? Probably not, but some of those other things were smaller things along the way, but, but God was there pruning them. and pruning them to produce more fruit, and that's the kind of fruit they produced.
0: And I want to build on that because it's something important we talked about. We, we tend to hold up those kind of moments in our lives, and they're big. They are. They're very fruitful moments that, that look like the character of Christ, what Christ calls us to do. But something that's important to when we look at that that we often miss is, relating back to the passage, fruit doesn't happen instantaneously. A branch doesn't all of a sudden, boop, there's fruit. Fruit, as we know, has a cycle of maturity It ripens, and then it blooms, and then, by the way, it starts all over again, right? More fruit, back to pruning. So my point is, we tend to look at those moments of, wow, and something that Marlon said then, and he even said now in a more complicated world of, I don't know if I could do that. And the reality is if we're looking, at that, we're looking at that in terms of productivity, could I make that kind of sacrifice? Could I give someone my car to drive 100 miles and come back? Could I pick someone up when I've got a car full of eggs and a dog and they've got a cat? And the reality is, is that we, it doesn't just happen instantaneously. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Fruit doesn't just happen instantaneously. It's the little things you heard Marlon say that lead to the big things. Let me put this in another way. Part of what Jesus is trying to say here that is important for us to hear in light of the Protestant Reformation, because the Protestant Reformation has a very positive legacy, but I am also going to be critical of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation saw a lot of abuse at the church, the Catholic church at the time, and it was this idea that, hey, I don't need the church directing me. I've accepted Jesus. It's just I just need Jesus. But what's come out of that in the Protestant church is this idea that I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, so I'm good to go. And applying it to this passage, we don't just accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, one and done. Many of of us will say, well, I prayed the prayer, I'm good. I asked Jesus into my heart, I'm good. It's not fundamentally about your choice for Jesus. It's about Jesus' choice for you. It's not about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior once. It's about surrendering and depending on Jesus as your Lord and Savior every day. Every day. How many of us look at our Christian faith journey that way? How many many of us look at it every day when we get up as if it's day one? I'm I'm committing to you yet again, Lord. I'm saying I'm remaining in you as you remain in me. Because again, don't miss it in the passage. The fruit of the vine is the fruit of the vine, not the branches. Right? Right? Any fruit is the fruit of the vine. The fruit is the car- life and character of Christ being reproduced in us. And it doesn't happen instantaneously. Of course it doesn't. Just like a tree, we don't bear more fruit by working harder. And that's why, again, many of us have it backwards. I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Therefore, so I should be bearing fruit for him. I've got to do stuff for Jesus. I've got to be fruitful. And that's just backwards. And it's frustrating, and it's exhausting, and it's debilitating because it doesn't work that way. Our fruit comes by planting our roots deeper by abiding in Jesus through that continual dependence that con- constant reliance through that persistent drawing of the power of the Holy Spirit and it starts in small ways that seem like nothing that ultimately get you to where where everybody else is in a car passing by and we don't know how many of those are followers of Jesus but someone who is a follower of Jesus stops and says you know what i got eggs in the car and a cat. They've got a dog. This is really inconvenient for me. But this is, what Christ, this is where you become sensitive to what Christ calls you to do. And not only sensitive to it, but you find the courage and the will to do it. This is where someone who has a car says, take me home and take my car and drive 100 miles, and I'm going to trust you're going to bring my car back. I hear that story, and I go, would I hand someone the keys to my car and say, yes, bring my car back? I'm not going to ask how many people here would raise their hand and say Yes. But that doesn't happen, just just happen. That comes out of a, we can talk about, oh, all that I have and all that I I am and all that I have is because of God. God is the one who provides. But if you're not abiding in that, in the smallest things in your life, then when the big moments come, when the fruit wants to burst, it's not gonna happen. Fruit production is a natural consequence of staying connected. How many of us, See that outside of our relationship with Christ. The friendships we have that bear fruit come from being connected. Marriages thrive and are fruitful when they're connected. When people grow apart, what happens? No fruit in a marriage. We're a part of our community. We take roots in our community. Fruitfulness happens in our community. When we stay in our home and we don't know our neighbors and we live in fear, no fruitfulness. You know, Marlon asked this question, and I love it, of bearing fruit. Those stories are back from the 70s. And what he didn't say when he shared those stories were those were pretty incredible back in the 70s, I can't even imagine those happening today. Why is that? Because we're abiding more in the fear that is in our world. We are abiding more in the people who say, if you're not for us, you're against us. We're abiding more in the things that we hear and see around us rather than what Christ tells us. And so, of course, we look at any stranger As a possible threat. We look at any situation of pulling our car over by the side of the road as we're gonna get killed. And some of you are gonna go, Yes, but the story, but you don't know what happened. What are you abiding in? The news? Or are you abiding in Christ? And pushing it to the extreme, even if you lost your life pulling over to help another person, what's more fruit? driving on by all the time, or the fact that maybe you lose your life. And I know, I'm some people right now, are you kidding me? Who do we follow? Who is Jesus, people? Jesus who said, you know what, I will willingly offer my life for the sake of all the world. And we say we follow him, then we have to be willing to put our lives on the line in small ways in order to get to those big ways. We can't choose whether or not we produce fruit. We can't choose that. But we can choose whether or not we abide. We can choose whether or not we abide. Marlon, I want to ask you something as we're getting near the end of the time. We're talking about the Protestant Reformation, and I want to just briefly touch on this, that there's this idea of, that we're following Jesus is, is indicated by our fruit, and I want to look at the fruit of the Protestant Reformation in one thing. Some, one verse stands out to me here, and I want to know your take on it. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet one of the legacies of the Protestant Reformation, there's a lot of good things, I want to make that very clear, but one of the bad legacies of the Protestant Reformation is we are more fractured as the church than we have ever been before. I can't even count how many denominations, offshoots there are. We we are practiced as Protestants. If we don't like it, we'll form our own church. We'll create our own church. How many Lutheran branches are there? Alone. (laughs) And so what I'm asking you is when Jesus says apart from me you can do nothing and yet at the same time many of us lament about the lack of fruit in the body of Christ. Here's my question Marlon, I want to know what you think. Is our lack of unity part of the reason for our lack of fruit as the body of Christ? Do you think that we have we have in this for the sake for the sake of things that are important that are on that banner behind us, not to say that those are not important and matter, but we have sacrificed unity and because we have sacrificed unity in Christ, that is why we are not as fruit-bearing as we could be as the church. What do you think?
1: I think so. I think one of the things that uh, that just... My mind is tripping again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a note at the bottom of the paper, and I'm going to read it, because they mentioned it in the car. I said, give me a minute to let the Holy Spirit speak. And I guess I need that minute mm-hmm. um, we're fractured fractured because the uh we, we 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 focus on what we want I think we focus on what we think is good for our life without figuring out remembering where we are in Christ and and that leads us to, you know, being uh, we 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 kind of nitpick things, and I think that's what's fracturing all of the all of the churches, which is fra- fractured. And you asked me um, the other day when we got together. So you asked me if the Reformation was good or bad, and I said both. The answer probably should have been yes, but that's both. It, it's it's both. It's, it was needed at the time, but what you just talked about is what we then talked about, what's happened to it, to it since. We really need an, an, uh, another reformation is, is where we are now. But that would only, uh, with, with the world we're in, I, I don't know how that would work. But one of the things that just, just um, I, I'm, lo- I'm losing that thought again. <laughs> it's bouncing in and out. Um, How many church, when, you, when you look at churches, that you go to a church website and you look at that church and see how they describe themselves, often you will see the words Bible-based. Why isn't that every church? Why does the church have to distinguish itself today to say that it's Bible-centered or Bible-based? That's what the church is about. And why do you have to advertise that you're Bible-based? That gives you an indication of how man has drifted away from Christ in a lot of what we're doing, and we've lost track of that, top of that thing. Christ alone, well, and word I, and alone.
0: And I'll go a little bit further. With rare exception, most churches that put Bible-based, all churches would, would, would say they are working out of their understanding of the Bible. Yeah. So saying you're Bible-based is actually saying something more than just that, it's saying, we're Bible-based based based on our understanding of the Bible. (laughs) And this is where we go, well, if it's not our understanding, then you're not Bible-based. Really, where do we get that from? I mean, again, we're falling back into, like you said, the very thing that Jesus is dealing with where he's got different factions who are like, well, that's not how we understand the Scriptures. That's not how we understand the Scriptures. And Jesus, in the midst of that, says the unity in the midst of that diversity is important. Look at the people that Jesus called as his first disciples. Was that a unified group of people? And yet... We sacrifice unity because, we because again, of things like that, where we say we're Bible-based. And, and that sounds so great. You're Bible-based. But like you said, every church is Bible-based. What you're really saying is we're, ba- we're based in our interpretation of the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back yeah. maybe to the end. One thing, I'm on a commercial. I'm, I don't know how many. I'm a, The Chosen fan. I don't know how many of you have watched The Chosen. <clears throat> if you haven't, do it. It takes Christ, puts him here on earth, and the life he lived. It's based on the Bible. It doesn't counter anything in the Bible, but it adds to it. It shows how he may have lived and what may have gone on around him. And if you really wonder, it, it, to me, visuals do a lot for me. And when you see how he, how Dallas Jenkins, who wrote, produced in, in, in the, uh, the series, how he's attacked that, it wakes you up. It really says, here's what Christ is, that's who we should be. That's the message that comes in there. That's the life we should live. And, because, and, and, and so uh, I really encourage that because to me it, it's a, it totally changes your perspective and it makes you want to go out and live that life. Mm. I think they're very, very simple. It's, you know, it's they're working on the fourth series, so there's already, so, so uh, uh, there's plenty there to go look at, but go look at it.
0: Marlon, we've got a little long, so I need to wrap it up. I want to thank you for talking with me today. I think it's, there's so much more in these conversations we could talk about, and I hope that it leads to conversations among our community. So I'm going to close this out by just, again, underscoring this idea that Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. And when we chew on that, that doesn't, I don't think that that functionally seems true to us at first that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. I mean, there are many people doing many good things apart from Jesus, doing worthwhile things for their families, for their community, for their world. But they're not us. We're not trying to do good things, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're trying to do Jesus things. We're trying to help usher in God's kingdom. And we can't do that apart from Jesus We can't be the people God is calling us to be, individually or as a church, apart from Jesus. We can't actually do anything worthwhile for God. This is a radical statement, but it's not mine, it's Jesus's. We can't do anything truly worthwhile for God and the world that God loves apart from Jesus. Being unconnected to Jesus is being cut off from the source of our life Without our connection to Jesus, we are completely dependent upon our own resources and we're going to bear little or no lasting fruit. We might produce growth, we might produce fruit, but that growth and that fruit apart from Jesus fundamentally is going to die and not be resurrected. We have this opportunity to bear fruit if we just simply abide, if we rely and depend on Jesus every day, every moment, every thought, every word, every action of our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord of the one true vine, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing that bears the weight of the glory of eternity. God of love, we are your branches. We are spindly, we are slight, and we are fragile. Reinforce our roots in the soil of your grace. Water and nurture us again and again by your word and spirit. Prune us gently but firmly. Discipline and train our wandering tendrils. Cut away those things in our lives which are fruitless and dead so that we may bear more fruit for your kingdom, for the people you have called us to. Abide in us, O God. Abide in us that we may abide in you and live in your love through all the changing seasons of life. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen.